Hello and welcome to a, uh, a very exciting episode of Diminishing Returns this week. We are dipping our toes back into the world of video game movies mm. uh, once again. What, what have we done in the past, Alan? I think we've done Mario, Sonic, yeah, yeah. Resident Evil, Pokemon. Resident is that Evil. right? Uh, I, I'm Sol. Joining me as always is Alan. Hello. And this week we have a very, very special uh, special guest, Ashley Escada. Thanks for joining us, Ashley. Oh, thanks for having me. I am maybe slightly bummed that I missed out on the Super Mario Brothers episode. <laughs> <laughs> that was one of our early, early ones when we didn't really know what we were doing. And yeah, it was... N- well, uh, neither did they. So that works <laughs> out really well. Yeah, our, our co-host at the time, he was just venomous. He he hated that film. He just couldn't wrap his head around the idea that I think you and I, Alan, both thought it was kind of, you know, it, it wasn't good, one. but it was kind of so bad it's good territory. I think we both had yeah. good fun with it. Yeah. And I think that's maybe similar to this week. We're, we're doing Mortal Kombat, mm-hmm. the um, seminal fighting game franchise from the 90s, which I, I, I'm a bit of a gamer. I, I enjoy video games, but I never really played Mortal Kombat when I was younger, other than one or two you know, sessions at a friend's house, but I was always drawn to friendly Sonic the Hedgehog kind of games rather than the <laughs> the more grown up violent stuff. Um, Alan, I know you've you've dabbled in games, but you're definitely not uh, what I'd call a gamer. Have you got any experience with Mortal Kombat? I'm not a gamer at all, but that is mostly based on whenever I've tried to do games, I'm crap at them, and so I don't get into it. And Mortal Kombat definitely falls into that category of, like, I would just randomly hit buttons and hope that they punch and kick in the right direction. I didn't know what I was doing. And so I never have any fun doing it. But I, I, that, that's kind of how I am with Mortal Kombat. I struggle to believe there are people who actually know how to play it, because <laughs> I, I actually, just to kind of do a bit of research for this episode, I, I thought, oh, you know what, I better refresh my memory, play some of the old classics. And I booted up some of the old Mortal Kombat games earlier today, and I, I couldn't get past round one in most cases. It was so <laughs> difficult. Um, Ashley, do, do you have a, a history with the games at all? I, I may have too much history with this game. <laughs> I, I played this game, there were many trips to Blockbuster Video, Oh yeah, and, and and many trips to uh, begging my parent, my mom, to let me get Mortal Kombat because I was let's see, so Mortal Kombat was really big in like the early '90s. This movie came out after the first uh, the first Mortal Kombat game came out, I think, and um, I was. Uh, a plucky young preteen and uh, with no friends except my video game consoles uh, and my Sega Genesis. And so um, I had a, had a Sega and a Nintendo and that was like my, that was my whole personality. Uh, So yeah, I played a lot of Mortal Kombat. There are a lot of uh, people out there who would suggest that playing such a violent game would somehow warp your mind in a negative way. But really, (laughs) for me, it just taught me that extreme violence was very funny. And and so so when they said they were going to make a movie... I was uh pretty I was pretty excited about it and I remember uh not being allowed to see it in theaters. I could not go see it. But when it came out uh on video, I certainly uh, once again begged my mother who allowed me to um run rampant like a feral child and watch a movie <laughs> meant for adults. So um yeah, I loved this movie. I I rented it uh, many times and I have enjoyed it 
uh, I've enjoyed it <laughs> going back to it because they're making a new one now this year. Mm. Yeah. So going back to watch this movie, I was talking about it with my best friend last night and uh, he was like, well, at least it's better than the Street Fighter movie. And I'm like, is it though? Like, is it? <laughs> because maybe, maybe it is. I mean, Street Fighter had Raul Julia. And I think that that's, you know, it's tough to beat Raul Julia in anything. But yeah, Mortal Kombat. I have a lot of love for this franchise, a lot of love for it. And also, can I, I think we can all agree that this soundtrack fucking sucks. <laughs> <laughs> Still a banger to this day. You get pumped when you listen to the soundtrack. I was blown away by the title song when it started. I, I so thought, good. I thought, is this the right film? Um, <laughs> are they really doing this? Is this like a joke? No, it was. That is the. It, it got you so hype. You want to just go out there and fight somebody. It was fantastic. I, I actually, what happened was I listened to the soundtrack before the film. I can't remember why, yes. but I did listen to the soundtrack Excellent recently. Excellent choice. And I thought I'd found a kind of jokey remix of something rather than the actual <laughs> theme. And then I loaded up the film and watched it. And it was like, oh no, that is the theme tune. And it's just so, it, it's completely obnoxious, but in like the best possible way. I I did love American. it. And I it's love that very they, American. <laughs> I love that they just brought back the exact same theme for the second one as well. They knew that was the one of the strengths of the film. Why change um, a winner? Why yeah. change a winner? You know? <laughs> exactly. And and it just keeps saying Mortal Kombat over the Yeah, I love the guy yelling. Again. Yeah, that's really that's Mortal Kombat. <laughs> it's just so good. But yeah, I completely agree. The the music did a lot to carry me through the film mm -hmm. yeah that soundtrack's back hurts because it carried a lot of that movie fun fact about that soundtrack the man who who wrote that soundtrack also famous for writing the soundtrack for austin powers oh my oh, really? and all their sequels yeah i i remember reading that somewhere and just thinking it was the most insane <laughs> thing i had ever read in my life i mean i i used to own the the CD of the soundtrack for Austin Powers in Goldmember, which should tell you something about my thoughts on that. Yeah, I actually so really like the music in those films. <laughs> yeah. It's good. Yeah, it's good. yeah. So the the film itself is directed by Paul W. S. Anderson, and we've mm. got a bit of history with Paul W. S. Anderson <laughs> on this show because for some reason we keep reviewing his films, even though they're all crap. You cannot say. That he's inconsistent, right? Like, he's consistent. <laughs> True, yeah. You know what you're getting when you walk yeah. into a PWS Anderson movie. You know what I'm saying? You know what you're getting. So going into this film, I hadn't seen it before. And my hopes weren't high, I must admit. And yet, still they were failed to be reached. But <laughs> <laughs> I, at, at first, I, I couldn't quite believe what I was watching. Like you say, that music kicks in, and <laughs> that's obviously the first one. It's a sign. big swing. Yeah, oh, it is, yeah. But then the film itself begins, and I was thinking, all right, so, yeah, the first scene, we're gonna, we're suddenly going to pan out, and it's actually a film crew there, and they're making a crap film within the film. That's the joke. And then that didn't happen. But then two scenes later, that did happen. So <laughs> yeah, you're not, yeah, that's true. But then they pan back to reveal that it's a crap film within a film. 
but it's still crap and it's still <laughs> <laughs> it still looks really bad and i don't know it's it's uh, like inception but it doesn't get slower each time. Exactly <laughs> yeah, yeah. But do you, I, I, I don't know if you have this sort of thing in America. Uh, laser zone? Are you familiar with that concept? Oh, yeah, like yeah a, laser like tag. Laser tag, yeah. Laser yeah, tag, yeah, you call have, it yeah, over there, yeah. That. that is what it, this film evoked to me with the uh, the set dressing mm. and the lighting. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It, it yeah, was I like, can see that. Uh, watching a crystal maze um, uh, the whole oh, of the that's time. That's a very British reference, that one. <laughs> you have to explain it. I was going to say, I don't know that one. <laughs> okay, let's just leave it. I mean, it. I barely know that it. It's not important. I'm gonna, but I, I can't wait to fall into that YouTube rabbit hole later today. I, I genuinely do think you'll enjoy it. So yeah, do, I do can't look wait. that up. I, are, I wrote it down. I literally wrote it down with a pen. So crystal maze. I'm going to look it up. But yeah, that the the production design on this is so awful, and the and it's the lighting. I think it's the lighting that really lets it down because you just need to darken everything down. We we yeah, don't I think need you're to not, be able to I see think, this stuff. I think closely. you're on the right track here. I think you're on the right track here. Everything is too well lit in this movie. Like you can see, it's almost like um, when you watch the original episodes of like uh, Star Trek. Right. It's mm. like it It look watching it in HD. You're just like, oh, wow. Yeah, that is uh, maybe let's go back to standard because it hides. <laughs> it hides a lot of problems. Right. If you see something yeah. in 4K, you're just like, oh, wow, that looks so bad. Like, oh, no. Like you can see the duct tape on like some of the props and stuff. And it's you could hide that in SD and you just can't do that. Uh, and then this movie, wow, there's a lot of metaphorical duct tape happening. Yeah. And and just like you can, it's just like, you can, so, it's so obvious that just on a small soundstage mm. with some polystyrene props <laughs> and a smoke machine, like that's mm. all we've got. Mm-hmm. But it does have a, a very unique colour palette. I, I did kind of like that <laughs> between what both the you, films. What would it you was... describe the colour? How it's like the saturation. If you were Bob Ross and you had a palette <laughs> in your hand, like what colors would you assign to this film? I'm so oh. curious. I mean, obviously we have f- fresh blood red, yes, and completely forgettable brown. Like, really, those are like two of the main colors. There were a lot of bright yellows, and then. <laughs> Things would look kind of yellow that weren't supposed to be yellow um, mm. as well. But I, I don't know. It gave it a unique feel. It was like, okay, this mm. this does feel almost like a like a low-res video game come to like, life. Yeah, like gamey, and, right? Yeah, so yeah. okay. Like, all right, okay. So it's, do you feel nah. like that was an intentional choice? <laughs> no, or do you I feel like they just sort of generous. stumbled into it feeling like a video game because they were just bad at filmmaking? <laughs> I, I think I am being very generous in saying that kind. while while maybe maybe not intentional, I I think perhaps they caught some sort of maybe not lightning in a bottle, but I think it works for the film. I think it's one of the few aspects that I'll say I didn't. I hate. completely disagree. In fact, I looked up the <laughs> camera crew. I the, the cinematographer on this had worked on The Mask the year before. Oh wow! So obviously yeah. a capable cinematographer had a lot of yellow on his mind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I looked up the gaffer on this to see really? what became that's, of them. That's a deep dive. And yeah. well, it does seem to have gone on to do plenty of work, but there does seem to be about a ten year gap on the C V after this film. And I, I think that's fair. 
I think that's probably appropriate. Hopefully, it was. We, you know, I live in Los Angeles. We we officially there was an official decree that nobody who worked on this movie could work in this town for ten years. It was the it was a judgment. We had a a jury trial. It happened. I think that tracks, to be honest, because Paul W. S. Anderson had to go make films with like German money for about fifteen yeah. years, didn't he? Yeah, we played yeah. the sad Hulk music and we made him walk out of town. <laughs> <laughs> I, I made a decision quite early on here, probably about four minutes in, that this is the worst film I've ever seen. Um, wow. And I, okay. I, I, I really don't think I saw anything that changed that. <laughs> Not to you, give you too You think much. this is the worst movie you've ever seen? That's extreme, Alan. Yeah. I, well, bear I think in mind I watched Mortal Kombat songs. Annihilation after this. So. Oh. <laughs> I was gonna, yeah, I was going to say, like, I think you saw the sequel, right? <laughs> We've seen worse than this on the podcast, haven't we? I'm, I'm, I'm well, struggling to yeah, think of anything Yeah, we've right watched now. quite a few Paul W. Sanderson films. <laughs> uh, but the, do you know what the thing is, right? And 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 this really brought into sort of relief for me with watching these two films over the last couple of days. I watched Mortal Kombat Annihilation. Um, I'm sure we'll talk about that a little bit later. But obviously, that's a, a, a terrible mess. But. It's not really a film. I think it's just some sort of strange joke. I don't think it really counts as a film. So I don't want to... <laughs> I can't vignettes. say that's the worst film I've ever sort seen. Of fight vignettes. Yeah. But this... It, do you know what really winds me up about it? Paul W.S. Anderson just thinks he's so cool and great. And it just... Mm. And it's like... It's pathetic that this has been produced. And that it was successful and people liked it. And it made money. And that... Well, did, was it? It I mean, frustrates me more. It made money, <laughs> but I think it made money off the back of the video games, really, didn't it? I, yeah, I don't think this was yeah. a well-received I, film. It was, it's, yeah. I mean, this was critically panned. Like, it, it, people, this was a terrible movie. And, and, and I know that most of its money was made off of, what did it make? Like, it, I know it crossed $100 million. Like, it made a <laughs> lot of money um, for the 90s. Uh, but it was, I mean, the two things really propelled this movie to its success. I am not joking when I say the soundtrack sales mm. made this movie very popular. And also <laughs> the game was at its absolute, the height. I mean, they really struck while the iron was hot. Like this is, I mean, 95 is like exactly yeah. in the middle of like when not only everyone was playing Mortal Kombat, but even the people who weren't playing Mortal Kombat were either knew it existed or were yelling about it in like hearings in our government like you know we had like the whole like oh we can't have moral mm. comment like it this was like a big cultural like zeitgeist thing so it's there was a lot of interest in what what this was so mm. and and um yeah mortal combat uh came out in like 92 and then the second one was the one that like ever oh my god like it really picked up i mean the first one like people were mad about but then the second one was like the <laughs> next year and it really just sort of like it leaned in very hard on all of the violence. Like, mm. and so there were just, you know, congressional hearings about Mortal Kombat. Just, oh, let's, won't somebody think of the children type <laughs> stuff. Um, and I, be I, I think, I think the ESRB, the little label on your, on your video game box uh, that says if it's for everybody, teens, like adult, yeah. adults only, whatever. This game was the reason the ESRB was made. <laughs> like i am i'm i am probably 75 percent sure about that like i, I it, if it wasn't the reason it was part of the reason as i said i i did boot up a, a quick game on uh mortal kombat 2 earlier just to kind of remind myself what it was like and 
it is mad to think that people were that up in arms about it. But I suppose all these moral panics are about usually quite yeah. tame stuff. I mean, mm. every every match you have is finished off with a, a fatality, Alan. I don't know if you're mm. aware of this, fatality. but basically, yeah, it's like a, a big um, show-stopping murder, I suppose mm. is the word. Yeah, yeah. Show, uh, show-stopping murder performance. Yeah, yeah and they'll... they'll throw you into some spikes or or the other character into some acid and all their skin will be burned off. It, like, it's, you pull know, it's, your head off with your yeah. whole spine attached. Like, oh, you really <laughs> rip your heart out. Like, yeah. take your arms off and beat you to death with them. Whatever. But it's, you know, it, it was rendered in 16-bit graphics and it's, it's cartoony and silly. It's kind yeah. of... But at I, the I time, know. you know, it's yeah. like people were looking at those graphics and being like, this is too realistic for... Yeah. For and I suppose children. it was a time It was a time when people were, you know, really upset with Beavis and Butthead because mm-hmm. Beavis likes to say fire or, or even The Simpsons going a few years back. You know, there was a... There was a time when The Simpsons was this uh, this thing kind of degrading yeah. the, the bedrock Married of moral society. Married with children society. also, right yeah. in there. A lot of the Fox programming at that time was like a big moral panic moment. Um, and uh, Mortal Kombat really just rode that blood wave right to $100 million plus dollars at the box office. So <laughs> good on them. And it is mad now just to compare it to what we have because you know as I say I do I do like playing games and I I don't keep up with them as much as you know many people do I'm usually a fair few years behind uh, the curve but you know I'm at the point now where I am taken back sometimes I um I mean this is an old game now but I played the reboot of Tomb Raider a few months back for the first time and I was really taken aback whenever I die in it because i was like bloody hell that's so (laughs) that's such a painful looking death they've just rendered for (laughs) lara croft was that necessary and i think now some of the ragdoll physics you actually just feel bad yeah just bashing heads against rocks and things and it's like oh sorry (laughs) i really meant to jump then i'm sorry (laughs) but yeah i suppose for the time it was scary to grown-ups and and, i mean my my mum is a um a head teacher of a primary school and she she definitely like does not trust video games. She she knows I've said they're fine, and it's you know just don't let a little kid play Grand Theft Auto, and it's fine. But she'll she'll tell me about kids who are obsessed with Angry Birds, and oh, it's terrible that the birds are angry. Why are they angry? And <laughs> then I'll actually show her what Angry Birds is, and she'll go, okay, that's uh, sorry, I thought it was like a GTA thing where you kill you know sex workers and <laughs> do drugs or whatever, but. But yeah, you should ask should be ask, asking yourself why you're you're letting your kids play these very addictive games <laughs> that ask for money. Yeah, I guess I, thinking about it, she must have assumed it was like a British thing, but because like, birds is British slang for like mm. women, isn't it? She must oh, have yeah, thought yeah, it was yeah. like Angry Birds. <laughs> like some East End. That sounds like a much more interesting that's game. A, though, to that's be a BBC show, right? Like that's Angry Birds. <laughs> I think I've seen that. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> But yeah, it's a real capsule of an era, and and I think the yeah. movie is as well. I think it captures the '90s quite. If if you wanted to I show agree. someone the '90s in That's 90 minutes, one. who was you know born well after the '90s, I, I think I'd struggle to find a better way to do it. Well, I as you know, Sol, I've got a bit of a soft spot for mid '90s action stuff because. It's mm. like the height of practical effects before CGI started sort mm. of coming in. 
And I quite like that sort of thing. And I think this film does fall into that category. There's Obviously, there is some CGI, but a lot of the stuff is practical. And it's just not well filmed is the problem. <laughs> yeah. When they go to, they're going on this old rickety ship to get to this place. And it's a really cool looking ship. I think the sails might be CGI because they looked a bit funny. Mm. But it, it just sort of floats in. It's like, if that was shot and lit and, and, and was sort of wet or something, you know, like make it look good. Mm-hmm. But it just looked like a kind of polystyrene ship that someone had built. Yeah, it looks like they carved it out of foam and then we're just like, okay. And then it doesn't look like most of the ship doesn't look wet. Like, just call up. (laughs) Where's the set? Okay, so Warner Brothers, on the Warner Brothers lot, there is a um, very famous uh, shooting set. So it's, I forget the number of it. I'm going to, of course, I'm forgetting it right now. Um, and they, there has been so there have been so many things shot on this set like over you know decades mm. upon decades of films, and the reason why is because it can hold a tremendous amount of water. So a lot mm. of those um, those synchronized swimming like nineteen fifties nineteen sixties like extravaganzas were sort oh, of yeah. filmed in Busby this. Berkeley stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So these these are sort of filmed in this particular studio, and so the Goonies was filmed in this. Oh yeah, yeah. The um, with the ship is real. It's a real thing. And they had the water and everything. It was an actual, like, living set piece with the cave and stuff. It was crazy um, to, to look at it and think that they built all that. Like, they built all of that stuff and then filled it with water. Like, it's, I mean, it's absolutely bananas. And I believe they did some of the Pirates of the Caribbean stuff in there yeah. um, with the, with water and um, and the storms and stuff. Um, so there are a lot of a lot of ways to make that practical that existed at the time in the 90s. Like, it existed to them. But I think... The budget for this movie was like pretty low mm. uh, yeah. for for what they it was really odd because like, again, it was part of the cultural zeitgeist. So I would imagine New Line would have wanted to pour a little more money into this. Obviously, they didn't pay the actors a lot because there was no incredibly famous you know, names in this movie. There were no Raul Julia. <laughs> well, they, yeah, they, they spunked all the budget on Christopher Lambert. Um, yeah, I mean... Who was the biggest paid that. one on the time, yeah. Yeah. And that guy was just lucky to be working because he didn't work on Alien because he had a Coke problem. So <laughs> I just, did, like, you know, that guy missed out. Imagine not getting work in the 80s because of a Coke problem. I mean, how did that <laughs> that's pretty That's pretty serious. That's a you must have had a problem. real Coke problem. <laughs> no, the problem was he wasn't problem. taking enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're like, hey, look. Really sorry, we gotta cut you loose on here. Um, you just don't, you just aren't doing enough coke. You can't keep up with the rest of the cast. Uh, we're really sorry. They hate you and they don't want to party with you, so we have to fire you. I'm sorry. You're too square for this movie. Goodbye. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, we 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 do have Christopher Lambert as Lord Raiden, and his introduction as a character is laughable as well, um, in which his voice sort of bellows across. <laughs> Some sort of Tibetan <laughs> monastery or something, I don't know. And then he I'm like waddles up. Just thinking about that it was so crazy. And they, and he's got this big, he's got one of those big Chinese style hats on that they have in these films. Yeah, and then he, pretty and racist. Dramatic reveal of his face. It's like, oh my god, it's uh, who is it? Is that Jean Paul Van Damme? Guy. No, no, he's it's a not. White it's someone man. else. <laughs> what is happening here? It's Highlander. Yeah. 
Dead Highlander. Yeah. Oh boy. Yeah. I did. I did keep expecting Clancy Brown to turn up as well. Actually, (laughs) just something about the aesthetic of the film. I was like, Clancy Brown as Goro with like two fake arms attached. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to try and continue being more positive than I probably should about this film. Here and 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 I think you know what happened is I didn't know this was directed by Paul W S Anderson when I started watching it. <laughs> it was about halfway through the film when I I sort of just looked on its IMDb page and it was like oh right that that explains what I'm watching so much. Um, yeah. But it it did feel to me like it really tapped into classic kung fu movie vibes. Like I. I've recently seen a whole load of classic kung fu movies as a, like I say, a, a film ponce who, you know, is going through film history, watching all these films that Quentin Tarantino based, you know, half of his career on. And and this film has the same energy. It's that kind of, it's all about the fights. There's some big bright colours. The story doesn't really matter. You know, this film might as well be dubbed um, based on the performances. It's... It did really evoke those classic kung fu movies. For yeah, me. but the so problem with that is, that is those thing? classic kung fu movies are crap. So it's evoking yeah. crap filmmaking. Not all of them, but yeah, yeah a lot of them are. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the yeah, the sorts where you know you might get someone who does like a fatality move on someone, mm. and, and mm-hmm. it, I don't know. It really thinking of it that way, I think, did a lot to make me not hate the film as much as I might. I kind of, I'm not going to say it's a good time, but. I, to I consider it an myself... American pastiche of like yeah. 1970s kung fu films, like I could get behind that. I could get. Yeah. I could get Made behind by a that. guy from Newcastle. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly, exactly. But even the the fight scenes aren't even that good, are they? I mean, well, I'm not yeah. that familiar with martial arts stuff, and I don't particularly think they're any good anyway. But it's like of our three sort of principal actors. Two of them aren't even martial arts trained guys. Like, they're just actors who they've given a bit of training to. And the woman in this, whose name is escaping me, but um, she was brought in as a last-minute replacement because Cameron Diaz was going to do it and broke her wrist doing training. Oh, really? So she was brought in very last-minute and didn't have any training at all. (laughs) Yeah. I remember hearing about that, and I... I remember thinking to myself, like, wow, good for Cameron Diaz. (laughs) (laughs) How different a career it might have been. That is a weird thing to think of, isn't it? Because obviously she wasn't a huge star. Yeah. She'd just done The Mask the year before. Well, mm. that made, that was like her star. That was like the the big, the thing that made her a star. Yeah. But that's it. In The, in the Mask, it's not a particularly big role. And she's eye candy, really. But yeah. it got her noticed, obviously. Mm-hmm. And so then this comes along. It's like a kick-ass action thing. And it's a, you know, it's a lead in this thing. There's going to be really cool uh, fight sequences. Like, this done well, on paper, like, could be quite enticing, and you think that's a good role. Mm. I think she smashed her wrist with a hammer after she read the script. (laughs) (laughs) Should we address Goro, the uh, four-armed beast? Do we have to? No, I just... (laughs) (laughs) Must Uh, we? Yeah. Of all the things, like what you've been talking about, like, oh, this has kind of got a a kind of cheesy appeal. Like, of all the things in this film, seeing that kind of puppeteered, weird (laughs) animatronic style, I like that. I know it's not good, but... (laughs) Yeah. There there is something just really impressive about that kind of animatronics and puppeteering. You know, there's 12 guys with little 
remote control buttons and things going on all at the same well, time. Well, yeah. also, you know, whenever something like that turns up in the film, it's interesting at the very least. You're like, oh, okay, something yeah. new's happening. So I, I did like it when he turned up. A, a similar thing would be when um, I forget the character's name now, but the the guy who's got a like a metal bird in his hand that shoots out on a chain. That's scorpion. Yeah, and and again, you know, it's like that's it's not realized well. It looks weird. I don't really know. I mean, obviously, it's from the games. It does look super weird move, in the movie, but... though. Yeah, <laughs> but it's. It's interesting when it happens. It's like, okay, I, I don't think I've seen anything like this in a film before. A, a weird metal mouth in a hand that <laughs> shoots yeah, around I, so on a chain. I always had a question about this, right? So he's scorpion. So why doesn't that thing come out of his back? Oh, yeah. Like a big tail. That would imply that it was something like a scorpion tail, which isn't at all. The problem is that his name is But his is name's stupid. Scorpion! <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, the name is the issue. <laughs> he should be called Bitey Hand. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's that's I, that's what I don't get. It's like um, he should be like called like grappler, grapplon, or something. Because that's I mean, it's like a grapple hook that comes out of his hands. Yeah, that is obviously a bit of CGI work on the old Scorpio hand. But yeah, um, there is a, a a more significant use of CGI in Reptile, this little predator style invisibility thing that runs around. Mm. I think. Considering what you know the capabilities were at the time, having it this kind of hidden creature, so that you're not actually going to have to figure out the textures of the skin and and the lighting and stuff. It's just like oh, it just sort of creates a weird translucent effect on the background. That's the way to go. I think that is the correct uh, thing to do there, because as we'll see in Mortal Kombat Annihilation, uh, CGI can be used erroneously sometimes. The CGI can actually be violent. Against the viewer. <laughs> yeah, the thing is, though, I, I, I really, for 1995, I didn't think the CGI was that bad. I, I it's thought fine. That, yeah, like, it's passable. Like, it doesn't look good, but it's it wasn't, like, laughably awful. I, I've definitely seen much worse from films of this era. But then I suppose this was the era... This is like Jurassic Park, isn't it? It was a time when CGI was so new that people really put a lot of time and effort into it yeah it was exciting it was just so yeah, wanted so to see how the industry was just so excited about it yeah so it often does hold up remarkably well now whereas you know cgi from two or three years ago can look terrible when you go back to it because it's nowadays just kind of not always but it can be churned out a lot more we watched coming to america recently and there's a there's a bit in that where an elephant just wanders past and it's a CGI'd elephant. It's like, well, how hard is it to get an elephant on a Hollywood film, you know? But I guess yeah. somewhere Pricey. someone's got a computer program with Could just like permits. An, an elephant button, you know, that yeah. just says, yeah, we've already got the elephant built. <laughs> an elephant button. <laughs> I love that so much. It's like this visual effects guy just sitting at a desk, but instead of a keyboard with numbers and letters on it, it's just <laughs> pictures of things. And he's like, you want an elephant? I got you an elephant right here. And he just hits one button and then boom, there's a living elephant right there. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, but uh, I just want to bring something up that occurred to me during this film, mm. which I, I, I think is true for Paul W. Sanderson's stuff in general, that I really didn't get a kind of sexual exploitation vibe from him. And there's really mm. no obvious male gaze, either towards yeah. women, as you would expect, or, or men either. Like, even in this film, 
even when you know um, Liu Kang is that his name, the main yeah. guy, he takes his shirt off. But it's we're not really like where you you we're watch like an eighties. We're not lingering 80s... on the bodies part of the. Mm. Yeah, you watch a, a, an Arnie film or a Jean Claude Van Damme film. Like it's really like oh, let's get some you know baby lotion on those muscles and do a yeah, good Yeah, yeah, you're right. There's none of that in Paul W. Sanderson's film, and I think. That's quite a good that. thing. And you get that in Resident Evil, the fact that he has a strong female yeah. lead in his in his um films. Well, yeah, but Resident Evil does have copious shots of like Millie Jovovich in the shower and stuff. It does get oh, a yeah, lot more does, into that territory. Yeah. Well, hey, aren't they t- they're together? Or yeah, they're he married yeah. her. So that's like, the only way. That's think, why it's okay. <laughs> I think Paul Dupont might be sexually repressed. He had to marry her in order to be able to <laughs> film. To feel her good now. about it. To feel to be like I can do this. I'm marry this <laughs> lady, and then I'm gonna and then I'm gonna show off her body. <laughs> because that's the really interesting thing that. That's not there, and I think not just that you expect it to be there because this feels like a film made by a twelve-year-old boy, but also you would think at that time uh, the the demographic this film must be aimed at. You'd think even if the director isn't going for it, the producers would be going like, "Come on, let's push those tits up a bit. Let's uh, get a bit of cleavage going, and uh, mm. let's make those shots a bit shorter." You'd think that would be a kind of prerequisite for this kind of film. Well, and, and the costumes in the game are not prudish mm. by any stretch <laughs> of the phrase so yeah. uh, you know that's a really good point i hadn't i hadn't considered that yeah. so just to address the plot somewhat uh we'll do this quickly um <laughs> there's, <laughs> there's some sort of massive martial arts contest going on with us another realm of dimension or universe or something and if they win they take over earth and so they're really making a big effort to get the best earth fighters to to fight and it's like Space Jam, isn't guys. it? It all, all hinges around the sports match. Yeah, I do. I do love the comparison to Space Jam. I think that's a, <laughs> that is so appropriate. The plot is all a bit vague and, and lost, and I, I guess that's because it's based. They got to find the game. best of the best to defeat what would be invaders. Then they have to. They got to work <laughs> together as a team, even though they don't want to. That's that's what it boils down. It's, it's the same plot. I- I think that's roughly the plot in the games as well, right? I, I, the games aren't exactly story heavy. I, I think you have to read yeah. the instruction manual. I mean, there's ten of them to... now, so there's there's actually quite a bit of Mortal Kombat lore. It's weird to even like consider that that exists, but yeah, it's like it's a it is still a a very big thing that people really love, and they they love the lore and the, the history and all the characters and their backstories and stuff. I mean, it's it's um it's like really violent soap opera so uh, i i've i have no more notes on the film mm. <laughs> they it sort of shambles to a fighty end and then they win <laughs> and the good guys win yeah i'd normally watch a film you know a few days before we record an episode of the podcast um but this film was leaving amazon prime video a few weeks back so i watched it a bit early and I, I cannot remember it at all. It's, it's just instantly gone from my memory. It is seared into my hippocampus. <laughs> I literally remembered every single plot beat. And there are lines that I actually, like that, those sunglasses were $500, asshole. Like, I remember <laughs> all of that. And it is horrific that some of my brain space is still being taken up by this movie. <laughs> Yeah. You can't remember what your child's first words are. But no, but I do, in fact, remember the entire fight. Uh, I, I, yeah, no, I remember this whole movie. It's it's upsetting how much of this movie I, I have kept in my 
kept in my heart for all these years. So, so can I ask you a question, Ashley? If, if you obviously were brought up on Mortal Kombat. Um, have you ever ripped someone's spinal column out? Maybe verbally. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, my I convinced my grandma to rent us Resident Evil when I was like twelve. The game, <laughs> and and oh, that was such a mistake. Like I regret that every. I think about it all the time. I will never forget that memory. Those dogs <laughs> jumped through that first glass like that oh, hallway. Yeah. And my cousin and I, my cousin's nine months older than me, uh, she, her and I sat in in my room and we played that and we walked down the hall as chill Valentine, walked down the hall, those dogs jumped through the, through the windows and we screamed. I've, I love horror movies. I have since I was a kid. I've never been so scared in my whole life. Like I, I, like I remember feeling so much fear. We would not go back into my bedroom to take the disc out. We had to make my grandma go into my room and take remove the disc from the PlayStation and return it to Blockbuster because we were afraid of it. Like it had a power. It was an, it, it, there, it had a it had a power over us that was and you're, extremely and you're, strong. You're trying to argue that children know the difference between <laughs> reality it, and video games. That that moment, that jump scare is not to be trifled with. It is not yeah. to be trifled with. For like weeks, we thought about. I was having nightmares about the eyeball. That was the title uh, <laughs> thing. It was a big eyeball, and then when it's like Resident <laughs> Evil, like when you started playing the game, like I, I that is also emblazoned in my memory. Like mm. I will never forget. And that, and that's why you still to this day kill dogs on a weekly basis. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I anytime I see a dog, it's gotta go. Sorry, <laughs> I can't. I, you know, it's funny. I, I'm. You just made a connection for me that I had never considered. When I played Skyrim, I stopped playing it like an hour into the game because I rolled a character, got to the first village, and at night, a dog attacked me, <laughs> like a wolf. I thought it was a werewolf or something, and I killed it, and it turned out to be the blacksmith's dog, his pet. <laughs> and I mur- I Look... <laughs> I stepped on a lot of rakes that night in Skyrim, and I murdered the whole town because it... Look, Bethesda does this on purpose. They show you a little sign, a little pop-up that's like, oh, if you don't leave any witnesses, you won't have a wanted level. So then I had to kill the blacksmith's wife, and then I had to kill his chi- his child, and I had to kill the people who heard him screaming. It just was a domino effect that I did not intend, and I murdered just about every... I guess just about everybody. I thought it was everyone. Um, but that's my trauma. I carried my mm. Resident Evil trauma into Skyrim, and it and it ended poorly. I, I had a similar experience with um, Fallout Three, where you you get um, oh, what's the dog called in that um, meat. Dog, meat dog meat or something? Yeah, yeah dog, dog meat. Yeah, and and I was so because you get these companions in the game and they can die, and if they die, they're gone, I believe. So I I just became terrified that my dog was going to die, and I just ended up taking him back to my base, building a like a room in the base to keep the dog in, <laughs> not letting him out. And, yeah, and I would just go out and like, collect stakes from abandoned buildings and bring them back for him, and he just sat in a room full of stakes, but I, I wasn't playing the game properly because I was too terrified of my dog dying. Oh my god, I can't play open world games properly at all, so I feel your pain. <laughs> I played Fallout 3 and I became a, uh, I decided to recycle the apocalypse, and so I picked up every can that I could find, and I, I just... I did that! 
Yeah. <laughs> I can't. I, went, I can't. I got to that first supermarket and I was like, yeah, this is not I, good for my <laughs> mental health. I have I, to stop. I did the exact same thing at the first location I got to was like an abandoned high school and I thought you know what I'm gonna pick up every item and take it back and sell it and and you can carry so much and after a certain amount of weight your character becomes unbearably slow (laughs) and I just thought you know what I'm just gonna walk all the way back at this really slow speed carrying everything just to take it all back yeah no I I feel like I there were many slow motion uh slow motion walks yeah. Um, in my Fallout Three pass, <laughs> I never finished that game. I literally, I just the the supermarkets. I I got to the first one and I was like, I nope, this is never mm. this is gonna end so badly. Like I'm gonna have to collect every full, empty, half empty, broken everything. Just I want to take mm. everything in this store. And it, I was like, I, ha- I think I have to quit this game. I think I have, <laughs> I think I have a problem. It's not good. Before we move on, um, can, we uh, we we like to give the films we look at a, a rating out of ten. Oh, okay. So let's let's do that. Well, I I know I've I've been veering on the more positive side with how I've been talking about the film, <laughs> but it's all um, relative because I've you know I've dragged Paul W S Anderson through the mud before, so I thought I'd be nice. <laughs> but it is a terrible film. Um, <laughs> as much as I didn't hate it with every fiber of my being, like I do the Resident Evil movies, so I'm going to give it a two out of ten, which I think is <laughs> Generally. harsh but fair. <laughs> Well, uh, I said earlier, I think this is, you know, one of the worst films I've ever seen. It's definitely in the conversation of worst films. And I've seen all of Paul W.S. Anderson's films, so that's saying something. <laughs> you liked his first ever film, didn't you? I, I haven't seen it. Shopping, is it? Yeah, it's been a long Shopping, time since I've seen yeah. that, yeah. I, there's just no redeeming features for me. Because even if this film had been made well, I still wouldn't really like it. It's just not my cup of tea kind mm. of thing. It's not the thing that mm. really gets me going. Uh, so I'm going to give it a, a generous one out of ten. Wow. So generous. <laughs> yeah. So very what, what would generous. you give it, Ashley? I would give it obviously. I mean, it's a ter- it's not a good movie, right? So you you got to give it like I'm right in your I'm right in your neighborhood here. So it's like if I'm looking at it as an objective <laughs> film goer, it's like it's like a it's like a two. There's at least a plot, right? Like if you look at Mortal yeah. Kombat, you got to be able to go down, right? And Mortal mm. Kombat Annihilation <laughs> certainly does that. So. I like to think that it's it's a solid two. But for me, like having seen it at the time, yeah. I would have given it like a six. Ooh, okay. So I at the time, like in 1995, I would yeah. have given this movie a solid six. I would have been like, this was awesome. I had fun watching it. It was kind of dumb, but it was Gonna cool. Gonna buy the soundtrack. But it was cool. <laughs> and I love the soundtrack. Like I'm hype yeah. about the soundtrack. So I feel like I would have given it a six in 1995. But today, yes, I would give it a two. That's fair. Very noble of you to throw your childhood into the dustbin. (laughs) (laughs) But talking about um, the worst films ever made, as you as you say, Alan, uh, the sequel, Mortal Kombat Annihilation, is on IMDb's bottom hundred movies of all time list, Mm. uh, quite firmly. And and I think that's fair. (laughs) Yeah, I suppose. (laughs) I mean, I I don't know. I. I can't say honestly that I noticed a world of difference between the two films, and and maybe that's just because I forgot the first one pretty much by the time yeah, I came to watch the second it? one, which was earlier today. So first of all, this this film, Mortal Kombat Annihilation, made two years later, it was directed by the cinematographer of the first film, 
Oh, really? Who was right. not a director. And that whenever they bring this for a cheap sequel, they get the cinematographer to do it. It's That's the, a good sign of we really don't care about anything other than what it looks like. We don't care about characters they kept or actors. The, they kept the look of the film intact, that oversaturated kind of crazy Cheap colour lights. palette. And, well, it's just because yeah, we only totally had three lights felt. and two filter gels. So, <laughs> you know... <laughs> And the, and the theme tune's back, the same theme from the first one. Well, it's already been paid for. But yeah, so only a couple of the actors return, even though it picks up pretty much as it leaves off the first film. Some of the actors are just straight up replaced. They bring in another couple of characters as well. And it's just oh, like this big bad boss is going to kill us. We have to team up to fight it. I mean, it's the Avengers, basically, but... Bad. <laughs> with better lighting. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so... The the major difference, I think, apart from just, you know, the, obviously no one cares at all, is heavy use of CGI, of 97-era mm. CGI. And again, you know, not the worst CGI I've ever seen for 1997. Really? It, it wasn't... <laughs> uh... Name one I mean, there's thing. Some pretty bad, there's some pretty bad... <laughs> Mid nineties CG stuff. Well, this this guy also went on to direct the Scorpion King, I believe. So, mm-hmm. oh, that's worse. Yeah, there you go, right there. <laughs> Much I think, worse. CGI. I think actually the worst. So, do you, I don't know if you guys would agree, but I think the worst CGI is like right around two thousand, where mm. it's like the technology was there, and everyone got too excited about it. Like the Phantom Menace is a perfect example of this. Like George Lucas was ahead of his time on the Phantom Menace, the way that he wanted to film it, because now they filmed the Mandalorian mm-hmm. the way that it should, that Phantom Menace should have been filmed, but they, we just didn't have the technology. But because all they had available to them was CGI, it was like, well, just CGI everything. We'll just do it all in CGI. And it's just so bad. Like, and it ages mm-hmm. so poorly. It's so, 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 so bad. Yeah. Uh, yeah I think, I, I, I think there is a, there's a value to this early crap CGI, but it's got that crap early crap CGI charm. It's crap because we were still inventing it, you know, we were still figuring yeah. it out. Yeah. As opposed to it's crap because we haven't put the effort in. Which I think you right. were alluding to earlier, Sol. This early stuff where they yeah. were building it from scratch, as opposed to just, you know, hitting the uh, dragon button. I think this is about the last point where you'd see stuff like that before it did just become bad. I mean, as you say, I, I think... I think I would struggle to think of worse CGI than... Um, it wasn't in The Scorpion King, was it? It was in The Mummy 2 when The Scorpion King turns yeah. up to set it up. I think that is probably the worst CGI I've ever seen. That kind of PS2 era Dwayne The Rock Johnson model they use. It was... Oh. Um, and it doesn't look that bad here. It, it doesn't look good, but there's a bit of personality about that weird dragon monster at the end when it, that, uh, that person yeah. turns into a monster. is a bit of ropey charm to it. It's a, This movie, I will argue this movie is a cult classic. It cult, cult in the sense that it sort of brainwashes you and you don't Amongst, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Amongst a demographic of like older millennials, maybe younger Gen Xers, like, this movie is a cult classic. Well, that's it. And that's just about, you see it when you're 11, 12 years old, and it's like, it's cool. Yeah. Because you don't, yeah. need, you don't need a compelling plot or characters or no. good lighting. You just, you just want to see all the characters you see in your game, and then they're doing all the stuff that was in the game. Yeah. 
Yeah, it did what it set out to do. It's 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 actually a faithful adaptation. I would mm. argue it's a faithful adaptation of the game, right? So as opposed to yeah. Super Mario Brothers, which is bananas, oh, yeah. <laughs> right? Like it's just it's it, it is a fever dream on yeah. ten tons of magic mushrooms. Like <laughs> no pun intended. It, it is literally like this movie is a very faithful adaptation of the game. Do you know what would be really great? Would be a proper faithful adaptation where it starts, two guys fight, one of them wins and turns to the camera and goes, victory. And then it cuts to him fighting someone else. And then it just carries on like that. It's just that. For an hour All and a half. All the way up, yeah. up the chain, yeah. That'd I sell. mean, I probably would have enjoyed that more, to be honest. I'd have a better <laughs> sense of the plot. I'm, I, I really did feel like I was someone's grandparent watching this, this one. I, I'm pretty good with high concepts and lore. But I, I had no idea what was going on. I couldn't follow it. it. It wasn't that it was complicated so much as I just, I couldn't bring myself to engage with it long enough to figure out what was happening. It's also just, it's very, it's very video gamey, right? Like, I mean, yeah. it's just, it's that, that inherently is, you know, games at that time just had very thin kind of plots or a story. Like, it was very much just like gameplay and that was it. Like, there, it was yeah. so rare at that point to be playing games that had like an overarching story <laughs> to tell you, right? Like Legend of mm. Zelda maybe. And like, but even then it's like, you know, the, the basics were hit. It's not, you know, it wasn't, yeah. It, there was a lot of incoherent weirdness happening in game uh, narrative um, for a <laughs> yeah. long time. And some would argue continues today. So um, just not, not on the same level. Mm. I recently tried to get my mom to play a uh, crash bandicoot game. Um, just for the hell of it, and and it was, it was fascinating because she's got no concept of you know what video games are, and mm. and I was trying to explain to her like no they're going through time back in time to collect crystals, and she was just like why is there fruit floating I don't understand she just didn't <laughs> the very mechanics of a video game were so baffling to her so yeah I I love that That's I charming. do forget how um, <laughs> how weird it is really these like video game grammar. That you just have in for you know. It's true. There's a whole lexicon. And... There's a whole yeah. lexicon of and familiarity that you have to have to really like suspend your disbelief in in a way that is so different from movies and TV shows. Mm. Like it's just it's mm. so different. Like if you watch The Mandalorian and there were like coins he had to collect, you'd be like, "What <laughs> the fuck is going?" on? I'd like now? it a lot what more actually. <laughs> <laughs> but it's that would it, be fantastic. There is a there is literally a language of games that is you have to really be fluent in it yeah. to be willing to suspend your disbelief for certain things like collection, especially mm. the collection aspect of it. And it's it's just really interesting um, to to frame it that way. That's that's an interesting way to think about it. Mm. And and that that is you know that totally different language is why. They don't translate to film particularly well, as we have seen right. over the last well, thirty historically, years. Well, historically, yeah. Historically, I mean, yeah, I think yeah. the other thing is, I, I, I said this way back when, when we did our Mario episode, but you know, that was so long ago. I'll repeat it. But you know, one thing a lot of video game movies struggle with as well is that most of the big iconic video games for a while were kind of just ripping off movies. They, you know, yeah. Resident Evil was essentially someone saying oh, this Night of the Living Dead's good, can we make a game with this core premise? And, you know, Metroid did it with Alien. That was a, a way that people approached making games, because the plot was such a small part of them. It was still a brand new experience, because you were playing it. But then that means when you come to turn that game into a film again, you don't want it to just be a complete rip-off of a 
film <laughs> that already mm-hmm. exists. But I suppose that's not really an issue here, because Mortal Kombat isn't clearly just based on a film in the same way. But yeah, I mean, I, I don't really have a huge amount to say about Annihilation, nah, other than it's kind of the same, but not as good. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I will say, again, trying to be nice about it, there's lots of variety in it. There's lots of different <laughs> things. <laughs> there there's there so was, many movie was, things in it. There was, yeah, there was someone with four arms. Uh, there was like a demon guy with knife arms. Oh, different looks. Yeah, yeah. There were a lot of choices in Annihilation. Yeah. I'm going to say a lot of choices. Like a lot of choices were made in that movie. What if what if we pretended Annihilation didn't exist and like we had to give the sequel to the original Mortal Kombat to Anne Anderson, a different Ooh. Anderson director? Would you give it to Paul Thomas Anderson or would you give it to Wes Anderson? Because I feel like there are two really amazing movies here. That would be very different from the PWS Anderson version. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say, I would, I would love to see a Wes Anderson, a very twee, a violent twee take on Mortal Kombat. I feel like that would be incredible. Wes, Wes Anderson would lend himself very uh, well to a, a scrolling video game. Just a, yeah, the a, kind a, of ninety-degree camera angle. Scroller, yeah. yeah. There's really a lot of things I feel like Wes Anderson could get into. Mm. Little like claymation murder fatalities. <laughs> like, come on. It's all right there for him. Little dioramas. <laughs> like, oh, it'd be so great. But who would Bill Murray play? Oh, yeah. You know, I feel like if we're just going to continue with the cultural appropriation, you just throw him in that terribly <laughs> racist hat and you call him Raiden. It's good. <laughs> I actually think Bill Murray could just play Bill Murray. Like, if we're going to go with Mortal Kombat 11, yeah. he could play anybody. Yeah, just put him in as himself. Like, Zombieland and Space Jam, he, he yeah. does that. He just turns up as himself. Just shows up as himself. Cool like, I think that that works. That would be great. They go they go to the Tibetan monastery. They have to climb a mountain to meet the, the guru to find to get his advice. And it's Bill Murray. And he's just like, ah, yeah, this is what I'm doing these days. Yeah, I got that going for me. Personally, I would pick um, Paul Thomas Anderson to direct it purely because I know Paul W.S. Anderson goes by W.S. Anderson because he got annoyed that people kept confusing him with Paul Thomas Anderson. (laughs) How dare he interpret it that way around? Because of this vendetta, I think he'd get annoyed about it. So I just do it to spite him. But I think we'd get a very very serious take on it. I don't really know how. Very dark. Very dark. There will yeah, be blood. Very... It would be very it was extremely <laughs> serious. Yeah. Daniel Day Lewis could be a reptile like that. I feel like he'd really <laughs> I'd actually be a little scared for for Daniel Day Lewis to play any character, a fighting character in yeah. a Mortal Kombat movie because he is a method actor and I feel like that would be a danger to society. Yeah, he would go and live as a reptile. Yeah. Could we just have him as his character Daniel Plainview from There Will Be Blood though? Because he does, you know, he he beats a guy up in that film with a bowling ball, doesn't he? John Rambo's in Mortal Kombat. There's no reason why we could not just have Daniel Plainview in a Mortal Kombat movie. Yeah. And his fatality he- could be called the milkshake. Like, <laughs> right there. And it's just he keeps Paul Dano in a little closet and he just pulls it, he murders Paul Dano. Like it has nothing to do with the actual <laughs> I really feel confident about this, you guys. We should really write a letter to uh, New Line. I feel like I feel like they might let us have a mulligan on this. 
I think they should make all three, or like all the the three big Anderson directors should make one, and then just it's like take a, nice a crack trilogy at it. Of, yeah. yeah. Well, j- just for the sake of completion, shall we rate Mortal Kombat Annihilation? For me, there's not a lot in it. I'd I'd give it a two out of ten again, which is yeah, yeah arguably generous. <laughs> that is so very generous. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I would argue that Mortal Kombat Annihilation is better than Mortal Kombat, but obviously... Really? It's, 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 yeah, because it's like if you gave a, a monkey a camera and, and then you went, oh, well, that's a bit crap, isn't it? Like, yeah, well, what did you expect? It's, you know, it's not a real film. So I, I can't judge it in the same way. But yeah, obviously it's a one out of ten. There's nothing happening. Wow. I'm giving it like a 0. 0.5. I mean, I think it's, it's just even, it's not, I mean, it's pretty bad. It's not even a movie, Is that's what should be on the poster and, and the box. Like, it's not even a, really a movie. Right, well, yeah, thanks so much uh, for joining us, Ashley. It's uh, been an absolute joy. Is there anything you would like to plug? You know, just ca- you can come hang out with me on Twitter. Like I, that's I, I, you know, I I work, uh, I make video for CNET for their YouTube channel. Um, that's what I, that's my day job, and uh, that's really fun. And um, you know, it's like tech product based. So it's if you want to come talk about pop culture and uh, and Mortal Kombat, um, you may do so at my Twitter, which is uh, my name. It's at Ashley Esqueda, and uh, my last name's E S Q U E D A. Cool. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, thanks so much. Thank you for making us watch the Mortal Kombat films. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for forcing me to re-enjoy this movie yeah. through the eyes of my 12-year-old self. <laughs> it's really, it was, it was, no, it was actually, it was really fun. And I, thank you for having me. This was, this was delightful. And uh, it's always fun to talk about these sort of, uh, <laughs> sort of like campy cult classics, mm. um, which I, I very mm. dearly appreciate. I appreciate them. I may not love them, but I appreciate <laughs> Do join us for our next episode because it's our big annual Oscars blowout where we will be discussing the, uh, the nominees of this year's Oscars, which are remarkably all right to say that nothing's come out in the cinema for like the last year and a half so yeah thanks so much uh bye bye